uh, a short word of prayer before we come to the word of God this morning. Lord our God, we pray now that speaker and listener alike would fall at your feet and learn from thee, from you, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit's wisdom, illumination and light as we share together in your word. We pray especially, Lord, for those who may hear this message who who do not yet know salvation in their own lives. Oh, Father, we pray that your word would, the entrance of your word would give light, life and salvation. So we pray that you would bless your word this morning to us. In Jesus' precious name. Um, I want to speak, as I'm sure you've guessed this morning, on uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark begins his gospel, in actual fact, with these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Beginning with the prophecy of Malachi, he then sets out the good news of the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This gospel, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, is the gospel of God, which he had promised to fall by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Also in Romans 1, Paul explains why he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so this morning, a great hope for the poor, lost, guilty, wretched sinner is that the gospel is the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God. It is God's plan, God's purpose, God's passion in the exercise of his power to reverse the terrible consequences of sin that entered into the world when man in the paradise of Eden rebelled against God and listened to the voice of Satan, the evil one, rather than listening to the voice of the good and great God who made them and sustained them. And in our reading today, in Mark chapter 5, we see visibly our Lord's powerful ability to reverse the consequences of sin in people's lives. Firstly, in verses 1 to 20, we read of Christ's power over the devil. Jesus, after calming a sea storm, embarked into Gadaria and was confronted by a man utterly and completely under the power of evil spirits. He was a wild man. Uh, 
and the evil forces seem to give him superhuman strength. Reminds me of those Jewish exorcists um, in the Acts of the Apostle who, who tried to copy the Apostle Paul and tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, like Paul, but it didn't go well. Those seven sons of Sceva left that house beaten up, cut and bruised, and minus all their clothes. No one could bind this man. He was bound with chains, but he just snapped them off. And he's described like a wild animal. It says, neither could any man tame him. And he screamed through the night and through the day in mental anguish and mutilated himself with sharp stones. Dear friends, this man was in a desperate condition. In my professional career, I've seen many children and adults screaming, crying out for long hours in mental pain, cutting themselves, just to give themselves some relief from the mental torture that was in their mind. And I'm not saying they were possessed like this man, but behind all of that was the same root source. It was the consequence of sin and the work of the enemy. Dear friends, Satan is a very cruel, very cruel taskmaster. Like Pharaoh in Egypt during the time of Israel's slavery, he's a very cruel taskmaster. Scripture calls him a roaring lion, hungry for prey, seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't matter if it's a little child or a disabled person or someone vulnerable, he'll try to destroy them. And this story is used by Mark to illustrate the fact that without Christ, every one of us is under the bondage of Satan, the enemy of the human soul. Everyone outside of Christ is like, a, is like a, a, an animal caught in a trap or like one of those poor African Africans who were taken captive by slave traders against their will. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. And uh, I guess most people don't present in the extreme way that this man did, this man of the tombs. But the Bible teaches that you are either a slave to the devil, to Satan, or you are a bond slave of Jesus Christ. There's only two choices in life. If you are an unsaved sinner rather than a sinner saved by grace, you are in bondage and you need to be made free. You need to be delivered. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin 
is the servant of sin. Peter says, For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Paul teaches in Romans 6.16 that you are either the slave of the one, he teaches that you are the slave to the one who you obey. And so there are only two options in life. Obedience to Satan through living a life of sin or obedience to Christ through living a life of obedience. Jesus speaking to religious people once said, Ye are of your father, the devil, and his works ye will do. And that's true, there's only two fathers. Ultimately, there are only two fathers. Satan, or the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if sin is your way of life, your constant way of living, then Satan is your father and his works you will do. John says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. But the good news of the Gospel, the good news of Mark chapter 5, is that Jesus Christ has power over all the works of the enemy. It says in 1 John 3 8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in this Mark chapter 5 where we see we see this in action. Christ literally destroying the works of the devil. You see by this miracle of the man in the tombs Jesus demonstrates his power over Satan by casting out the legion of demons. And we find the man now sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Christ destroys the work of the enemy in this man. He had entered as it were into the strong man's house, bound the strong man and spoiled his goods and spoiled his house. You see, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has spoiled principalities and powers and on the cross he has made a show of Satan and openly triumphed over him in the work of the cross. Christ in the foolishness and in the weakness of his cross has ensured the fall of that ancient prince of hell and only Christ had the power to do it. That man in the tombs, he couldn't, he couldn't free himself from, these, from, the, from the work of the enemy in his life. Luther said, with force of arms we nothing can. Full soon we were, were we downridden. But for us fights the proper man, whom God himself hath bidden. Your friend this morning, are you a slave? Are you in bondage to Satan? If you're in bondage to sin, you're in bondage to Satan. 
You are in bondage to a force of evil which seeks your destruction. That's the reality. Fear him, Jesus said, who has power to cast both body and soul into hell. Are you in the grip and influence of a particular sin which you just can't escape, a, a habit, something you're ashamed of and you, you, it's chaining you, it's, it's binding you, you're in bondage to it? Are you oppressed by the evil one with fears and nightmares and you, you can't sleep without the light on? You can't stand the dark if you filled your mind with evil things? My friends, Jesus is able to deliver you from the bondage of every chain, of every work of the enemy in your life. And he can clothe your nakedness and he can renew your mind. That's the message of the gospel, dear friends. I'm not ashamed of that message of you. I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Even for a man like that, who no one could buy, no one could control, the power of Christ tamed him, calmed him, gave him peace, delivered him. Secondly, we come across in this chapter Christ's power not only over the devil, but Christ's power over disease. Christ's power over disease. The Lord Jesus Christ was a great healer. And Mark has already described those um, evenings. Um, we read about those evenings when people flocked to Jesus and came to him for healing. Mark 1 32, it says, in an even. When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And now sort of sandwiched between the story of another miracle which you'll come on to we read of this woman a certain woman it says which had an issue of blood 12 years Jesus had departed from Gadaria to the other side of the shore and as was frequently the case he was met by a large crowd of desperate people. And he met Jairus, first of all, uh, who implored Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. And Jesus agreed to go with him, but was surrounded by a great crowd of people, all seeking ministry from him. And it's in that context that we read of this woman. She's not named. She's just called a certain woman. She is a daughter of Israel, which is how Jesus refers to her in verse 34. We know she was ill with an issue of blood. 
this was getting worse, not better. And all her money had gone on medical bills. And she was desperate. There was no Israeli NHS, as it were. All her resources had been spent trying to save herself through medicine. I suppose if the man of the tombs was under the power of sin, this woman was experiencing the pollution of sin. You see, this woman was considered under the law to be an unclean woman. She had an issue of blood. She was polluted and the law said that if a woman had an issue of blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. See, one of the consequences of sin, dear friends, is that it makes you unclean in the sight of God. And she was also separated from the this religious communion of her society. And there was no end to it until she was made well. All the days of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. Even every bed wherein she lieth, and the days of her issue shall be unto her as the bed of her separation. And whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her separation. And whosoever toucheth those things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until even. This woman had no business touching anyone. She certainly had no business touching the Lord Jesus Christ. She was unclean. But she was desperate. If she could be healed, then after eight days she could go to the priest who could offer the sin offering and the burnt offering as an atonement for her and she would be clean again. But she was polluted. She was separated. She was bleeding. She was without money penny but with plenty of pain and she had no doubt in her mind that if she could just touch Jesus she would be healed. Maybe she'd heard of these uh, evening healing meetings that Jesus um, had. Maybe she'd heard of some of the miracles in Capernaum. She didn't really understand very much but it was now or never. Jesus was there. She could see him. If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. And she did. She crept up behind him so we couldn't see her and touched his robe and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And the Lord Jesus immediately sensed that healing power had gone out of him, but he didn't know who had touched him. Who touched my clothes, he asked. 
looking around to see who had touched him. And then this certain woman, now healed, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him all the truth. Before we go any further, that's a very good place to be with God. Falling down before him in fear and trembling and telling him the truth. Everyone needs to come to that place in their life where you tell the Lord Jesus Christ your story, honestly. Not hiding anything from him, not trying to cover it up, but saying, this is my story, this is my sin, this is my life, and I need your healing. Jesus never refuses anyone who does that. Don't let your... Any, any theology confusion anyone who comes for salvation will always be received by Christ it's a free and open generous bounteous offering of salvation this woman knew little about theology and, the, and there may be much confusion in her mind she, she thought there may be something special about the clothes of Jesus. If I could just touch his clothes, or maybe there's some power in the clothes that will heal me. But Christ doesn't rebuke her for, for her poor theology or lack of understanding. He doesn't rebuke her for touching him when she was religiously unclean. He says, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You see, she didn't just touch Jesus. She touched Jesus in faith. There's a big difference. She hardly knew anything. But she knew all her resources were at an end. All was gone. And she knew deep within her spirit that if by any means I can get through the press of the crowd and come up behind him so he can't see me and touch his clothes and I will be healed. That's all she knew. And that's all you need, dear friend, to come to Christ. You don't need a degree in theology at the beginning. You don't need one afterwards either. But you do need to learn the Bible afterwards. But at the beginning, you don't need to know hardly anything. You just need faith. A tiny little bit of faith to believe that Jesus Christ can heal you and save you and make you whole. You may come with very odd and strange ideas you've learned from other places which will need to be corrected later. But Jesus still won't despise you. He still won't reject you. He'll see the motive of your heart. And if you come to him, in faith and touch him, he'll receive you and he'll heal you. The old hymn says, she only touched the hem of his garment. As to his side she stole. Amid the crowd that gathered around him and straight away she was whole. Dear friends, Mark includes this story to demonstrate Christ's power 
over the pollution of sin. Sin pollutes us. Sin robs us of our resources. Takes away our time and our dignity and our potential. It separates us from God. And we are unclean in the sight of God. We are impure in His Holy Spirit. You see, sin leaves a stain that no human effort can remove. It's like black ink on a white shirt. You put it in the washing machine time and time again, but that ink never seems to go. Shakespeare, who knew his Bible well, understood this. Lady Macbeth, uh, you will remember, became a sleepwalker as a result of collaborating in murder. And each night she used to rise from her bed and wash her hands repeatedly, trying to get the blood out of her hands. And she said, here's the smell of blood still, and all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. You see, there was blood of murder on her hands, and it left a stain that nothing could take away. The people of Israel understood this. Sin was even seen to pollute the places where they were committed. And so we have a very strange ritual in Deuteronomy 21, verses 1 to 9, where in the cases of an unsolved murder, guilt even infected the land in which the murder took place. And all sorts of measurements had to take place and rituals. In Leviticus 18, God commanded Israel to refrain from the terrible sins of the Canaanites. Things so terrible, I wouldn't even mention them from here. You can read them if you'd like, but you should, it's in the Bible, but children are present. Including sacrificing children to Molech. And God explains that because of all the sins of the Canaanites, because of that sin it infected the land, and because of that the land was going to vomit out the Canaanites. The land was defiled. You see, sin is a deadly contagion. And just like all those COVID measures were taken to try to control the spread of COVID, Israel had these, these rituals, these rules to try and control the contagion of sin. The only way sinners could enjoy God's presence was through the atonement of their sin, which involved purifying the house of God from the sins of the covenant people. And if we had five hours or so, we could go through those uh, sacrifices and rituals, but we don't. Safe to say, that there was one great day of the year, the day of atonement, where it was like God forgave all the build-up of sin through the year, that accumulation of sin which had infected the people in the land, and on that great day of atonement, all the sin of that year was forgiven covered 
And everything was sprinkled with blood. That's all you really need to know about Leviticus to begin with. Virtually everything was sprinkled with, by the hyssop with blood to purify everything in the sight of the Holy God. You see, without that, the pollution of sin would have made it impossible for God to dwell among a sinful people. God's wrath would break out. And that's never good news. And so this cleansing or expiation of sin was the ground, the preparation for the propitiation of God's wrath. And that's the, always the way we should deal with the wrath of God. Expiation first and then God's wrath is propitiated. Dear friends, the New Testament speaks more directly about the polluting effect of sin on a human life. Jesus had to rebuke the religious leaders once for thinking that it was in the washing of pots and pans and eating kosher food that uh, kept sin out of your life and kept you pure. That if you made everything externally, ritually pure, then somehow that would give you um, some kind of credit with God. And Jesus said, no. It's what's in the heart of a man that defiles him. And what's in the heart of a man will be obvious from what comes out of his mouth. Thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat without washing hands defileth not a man, said Jesus. Paul spoke of these things as the works of the flesh and warned that they that do such things cannot enter the kingdom of God. Dear friend, if you, let me put it this way, have you ever realised this about yourself if you don't know Christ? Are you like this certain woman, conscious of your uncleanness and you're at the point where you're so desperate to be clean that you'll be willing to go through the press of the crowd, all those people who call you a fool to believe in such a thing and to somehow get through all the barriers and the blockages and all the things that are telling you no and reach out to him and touch Christ touch his garment are you at that point with God then I will tell you in all confidence that Christ will receive you and he will treat you in exactly the same way as he treated that daughter of Jerusalem are you like David who committed a vile sin are you at that point where you are wanting God to wash you truly from your iniquity and to cleanse you from your sin. The good news of the gospel, dear friends, is that through the blood of his cross, Jesus can cleanse us from all sin. Christ is the atonement day. He is the scapegoat upon whose head all the sins of the people have been laid. 
He can cleanse us from the shame of our sins. Those sins which you bitterly regret, you really, even now, wish you'd never done. The sins that make you feel vile, even to yourself, let alone God. Vile and full of sin I am, says the hymn, thou art full of grace and truth. And there may be things in your life which, which sustained your life, perhaps dabbling with false religion, dabbling with witchcraft, the occult, violence in your past, sexual sin, whatever it might be, it's left its stain. And you can't wash that stain away by yourself. When that nuclear bomb fell on Hiroshima, it vaporised people. And even today you can go there and see the outline of the human body that vaporised is left a mark on the earth. You see, sin leaves a stain. And you need to be washed. But this wonderful soul-cleansing redemption not only can cleanse you from all your sin, and I'll say this too, it's not often said. It can cleanse you from the shame and the guilt and the defilement of the sins that others have inflicted on you. The things that others have done to you that make you feel dirty and ashamed, things you, you may have never spoken to anyone about. Something that happened to you maybe as a child, which you've locked up in your heart, but you think about all the time, and it, and it inhibits you. And you want to be free, you feel dirty, and you want to be clean. Well, Jesus covers that too. The promise of God in Zechariah has come true, a fountain has been opened for sin and uncleanness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. It happens because Jesus has dealt with the pollution of sin. Because he, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Finally, and very quickly, Mark shows us the power of Jesus not only over the devil, not only over disease, but also over death itself. This ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, had a little girl, a little daughter, his darling girl, at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Is there, is there anything worse that can happen to a dad than his, his little daughter is at the point of death? And bad news soon comes. In verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is death. Dear friends, <clears throat> sin results in death. The wages of sin is death. 
God warned man about God warned man about this in the Garden of Eden. He says, "Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die." And this resulted in the dissolution of the body. Dust thou art, God said, unto dust shalt thou return. And so sin brings in physical death, but also spiritual death. Paul speaks of being dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, sin kills. Sin has brought death. Sin may give pleasure for a season, but it's a pot with death in it. And people can play with sin if they like, but in the end it will kill them. It's now a matter of um, public record, so this isn't gossip, it's public information that the Member of Parliament for Tiverton and Hunnerton has admitted watching filthy images on his phone whilst at work at the House of Commons. He explains that he was searching for information about tractors and the search result <clears throat> for some reason brought up a website of a very sinful nature. And he looked at this and he says he hadn't meant to look at it but he dwelt upon it. And later on, on another day he looked at it again. And this has resulted in the death of his political career. You see, James gave the perfect anatomy of sin in James 1.15. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Even as a Christian, dear friend, I've been speaking to, to non-Christians this morning, but even as a Christian, don't play with sin. It will lead you where you don't want to be. Dwell on something and you'll, you'll, you'll go back to it if you're not careful. The good news of the Gospel, though, is that just as Jesus took this little girl by the hand and raised her from death, by the power of his cross, he raises dead people to spiritual life. He hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, says in Colossians. You see, Christ has reversed the effect of sin. He's reversed the effect of bondage, the effect of defilement, and the effect of death. The gospel of Christ is that he is risen again from death. But not just risen, he's risen as the first fruits of those who will rise. That is to say, he's the first of many who will rise. On that great day of resurrection, all will rise either to eternal life or to eternal wrath. And he reverses that whole process where man's body went to dust. But in the second coming, Jesus will take the dust and he'll make a body again, a body better than Adam's body, 
a new, a resurrection body. It reverses the whole process. And death is swallowed up in victory. By man came death. By man came also the resurrection of the dead, didn't you? The man, Christ Jesus. Death itself has been defeated. What will your response be today to this gospel of Christ? Mark said, this is the gospel of Christ. The beginning of the gospel of Christ. The Son of God. What's your reaction going to be to the gospel of Jesus? Well, it could be like the people at Gadaria that they said to Jesus, get out of here, leave our coasts, we're afraid. You might want to get him, you might not want to see Jesus or hear about him again. That's one reaction. You might be like the, the mourners at the house of Jairus where they laughed Jesus to scorn when he said that she was only sleeping. Many people mock at our message the message of the gospel. Or you might be like the man of the tombs who when he saw Jesus in the distance, what did he do? He ran to him. He fell at his feet. Or you might be like Jairus and that certain woman who fall at the feet of Jesus Saying, Lord Jesus, I know you have the power to save. I know you have the power to heal, to deliver, to restore. To reverse all the effects of sin in my life and make me righteous in your sight. Dear friends, there's only two roads, two options for you today. Will you come to Christ and be saved?